paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who'd like to watch the show but can't through television, they can go to our website at www.hotm.tv and watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. We've uh, tightened that streaming video up, so it should be clear. Uh, Getting a lot of compliments on how it's working, so please don't fear that thing like we've had to fear in the past. Uh, Go from there. We have... uh, tried to streamline I am a born-again Mormon and make it more available, readily available to you. As a result, we have uh, put it on uh, our website in a downloadable PDF. So if you can contribute something for it, be our guest. But if you can't, that's fine. Download it for free uh, right there at www.hotm.tv. You can have the book in your hands within minutes. If you prefer a bound copy, wait. We're getting that in the back order. We meet twice a week on Sunday to study the Bible verse by verse. It's a Bible study, once at the U of U and once in Logan at Utah State. I have the honor to teach both studies on that day. Come join us. Go to www.calvarycampus.com. Everyone is invited. It's a fantastic way to arm yourself against the truth and against, with the truth and against the lies that the world uh, uh, presents to us as uh, ways to uh, know God or follow God. Knowing the Bible is going to be your best defense. All right. If you are a teenager, if you know or own a teenager, if you want to rid your neighborhood of your teenagers, we need your help desperately. Please grab a pen and a paper. Please rack your brains as to the teenagers you know. On Saturday, August 1st, we're filming the introduction to a new show that will be airing here out of uh, KTMW TV 20. We're going to be meeting at West High School on 3rd West in North Salt Lake City. You can go to the Gray Generation, G-R-E-Y Generation, for information about how to get there, what you need to wear, what you need to bring. But I'm going to tell you right now, you have to be there. It's not show up anytime. You must be there at 8 a.m. We're going to be shooting the introduction to the show, and so that introduction is going to repeat itself Every time the show plays, each week on Saturday night. And so you'll have a chance for, to be seen on TV each week if you get into that introductory uh, shot. It's going to take us about five, six hours to do. So we're going to be there at eight, and we're going to film all the way up until about three. We will provide you lunch. You bring yourself. Come as you are. So if you are a football jock or a tennis player or a student or a geek or a punk, 
or a mass murderer, maniacal freak, come as you are, but be dressed only in gray, white, or black. Uh, because that's going to go with the color scheme of what we're doing in the introduction. The introduction and the uh, exit of the show are going to be really cool. You'll be proud to be uh, part of it. So that is August 1st. We need 250 teenagers. And uh, so if you're interested, bring your friends too. All right. That's thegreygeneration.tv. We're having some kind of audio feedback in here. I just want to let you know if it means anything. All right. Remember, mark your calendars also for Burning Heart 09, the Big Tent Revival. Uh, bands include Adams Road from Florida. Some local talent will be there to uh, inspire you. Box lunches from Subway, cotton candy, popcorn, inflated things for the kids, booths for the adults. Big Tent Revival. A message of salvation. If you haven't been born again, you don't know the Lord intimately, come on. Um, the event is uh, certainly to fellowship, but it's also to come to know the Lord better. Saturday, September 5th, 2009, Sugar House Park from 5 to 8 p.m. Everyone but disruptors, assassins, white men dressed as Indians are welcome. Uh, worship, gather, meet, greet, say goodbye to summer, Burning Heart 09, Big Tent Revival. Our photos last week of the bab open water baptisms that we hold in the summer uh, had some problems, but Kevin, our uh, Apple guru, was able to put those together into a, uh, a video, which I think is beautifully done, and we want to show you what that event looked like that we held two weeks ago. Let's look at that.
a great event uh, had by all and uh, just uh, anytime people dedicate their lives publicly to the Lord through baptism, it's an honor to be a part of that. So uh, thank you all for uh, participating and being there. Finally, is it ever too late to discover the truth? We recently got news of a woman 87 years old sitting in her house who turned on heart of the matter last year, LDS. A few weeks ago, she was born again, uh, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal and intimate way. You're never too old. You're never too sinful. You're never too far gone. You have never done too much good in your life where you don't need Jesus, and he will dwell in you. For the LDS, this phrase is one they never use, Jesus dwelling in them. But it is certainly biblical. Uh, in John 14, 23, Jesus said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love the him, and we will come unto him and make our home with him. Has God made his abode with you? Can you say unequivocally that God dwells in you? Let me ask you something. People often ask us, they say, how do you know if you're born again? You know you're born again because you have something living inside you that was not living inside you before. And that being, you could even say that alien, because it's alien to your, your natural body, is God. And when something is dwelling in you, as human beings, we're pretty sensitive to that. We know when we've ate a couple slices of pizza, we know something in us is different. Well, when you're born again, you know something is different within you and your perspective of life changes. It's the best way to explain that. God moves in and it's undeniable. Jesus said in John 15:4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. Can you say that Jesus abides in you? If you can't, why not? What's stopping him from moving in, making a residence in your body, in your life? It's not your sin, because we all sin. It's not his... Uh, his abiding in you is not predicated on your righteousness because none of us are righteous. So why hasn't he moved in? Maybe you haven't invited him or maybe he hasn't been welcomed. Maybe you really don't want him in there. And that's why he hasn't moved in. If you want him, just ask him. Now, I know, especially with the Latter-day Saints, there's this false notion that is taught that Jesus cannot dwell in your body. That's actually taught by them. This is a sectarian lie. He can, he does, he will continue to dwell in all of them who believe. Let me give you, listen to this one passage that Paul wrote, Ephesians 3, around verse 14. It says, talking about the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Let me repeat it. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Jesus can live in your hearts, my friends. And once he dwells in you, once he's taken up residence, he doesn't move out because you mess up. He, he is faithful and righteous to beam with you even when you are not. 
And when you realize this about him, you become more faithful and dedicated to him because of this unconditional love. So go to him, invite him in. And with that, let's begin with a prayer. Lord, we uh, ask you to be with us. We ask you to be with our audiences here live. And of course, wherever they are in Utah, Idaho, or the world, we pray that you'll be with our staff, the people who volunteer, uh, the technical equipment, and the message that's about to be delivered. Be with our callers, the information given in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we uh, started talking about polygamy uh, last week, and we're going to give more of an in-depth examination of it. And tonight, I want to try to lay out what theologically helps justify the act of polygamy in the LDS mind. A theological justification on why polygamy uh, is necessary to them. Now, there's all kinds of reasons what people will say, Mormon and not. We practice polygamy because there is more men, I mean, more women than men. We practice polygamy because it was practiced in the old church and this is a restored church, but now it's over with. We practice polygamy because of this reason or that reason or this reason. Women didn't have rights and we help all kinds of conjecture. Bottom line, it comes it's founded on, stands upon a theological premise. Now, I have to admit, tonight could be a little bit more complicated in theology than we normally get, but it will help you understand as we continue to go all the way through what polygamy was in Mormonism, why it exists as it does. Last week, I mentioned two ways human beings approach the origins of matter. Now, when I'm talking about matter, I'm talking about material. Anything that is material, when I say matter, that's what I'm talking about. This paper is matter. These glasses are matter. Matter, even air, uh, has, is made up of material components, even though we can't see that. This matter is what we're talking about, okay? Now, there are two ways that you can believe matter came to being. You can believe, as the Christians believe, that God created all material, all matter, Creatio ex nihilo, out of nothing. That's one way that we can believe in matter. The second way that we can believe matter came about is only that matter has always existed. So there's two ways you can look at it philosophically. God created it, or it was created from nothing, or that it has always existed. Just to let you on a little insight, Marx, Karl Marx, who came up and talked about dialectical materialism, matter materialism, he talks about, I mean, he's the ultimate materialist, and they, atheists, generally take the second position that matter has always existed. There is no creator, it's just there. Christians, traditionally, have always said matter was completely created from nothing by God. You got that down? Well, Christians embrace the former. God created all matter out of nothing. Latter-day Saints do not. Latter-day Saints embrace the latter explanation that matter has always existed. Now, uh, when we go to the Bible as Christians, we read in the beginning. And when we read that, we believe that this is the beginning. If Big Bang or anything else, this is before anything like that. We're talking the beginning. And Christians believe when it says, in the beginning, God, we take that literally. We believe he was there at the beginning, first, first cause, first source. Christians also embrace when it says in the Bible that all things were created by him, actually through Jesus, that Jesus created all things. 
Christians believe that means all things, that Jesus created all things, God created all things. We do not extend any belief beyond that. We believe God created all things, all matter, creatio ex nihilo, out of nothing. But in Mormonism, Joseph Smith taught a later concept, that matter has always existed. Now hang with me now, as this might get a little tacky, but you'll get it, just, just stick with me. Um, taken together, all these ideas that Joseph brought in, they form the foundation which ultimately justifies their concept of practicing plural marriage or a man having many, many wives. All right, ready. The first thing Joseph Smith taught relative to matter was that everything that is considered real is made of matter. Anything in this universe, anything, wherever it may be, if it's real, it is made of matter. In the Doctrine and Covenants 141, 7 through 8, he said, God said, there is no such thing as immaterial matter. That means matter without substance. All spirit is matter, but is a more fine and pure and can only be discerned by purer eyes. Mormon doctrine wholly rejects any form of immateriality as being real. Um, there's no invisible, non-material spirits in Mormonism. No non-material anything, anywhere, anyhow. Meaning, if a spirit is invisible, Mormons say it's still made of material. And it's made of material that's always existed. That material, just like the material of my body, the material of this shirt, has always existed and was not created by God because God could not create something out of nothing. All these things uh, are part of Mormonism's materialism. Now, when we take these things that are invisible like spirits, Mormonism teaches that they are constructed of such fine matter that we, the human eye, can't see or discern them, but they still are physical. Mormon doctrine teaches that anything that is not material cannot be considered real, meaning it's all false if it is not made of some material. And for it to be considered real, it must be made of matter. Listen to what early LDS apostle, scientist, intellectual Parley P. Pratt said. Quote, nothing exists which is not material. The elementary principles of the material universe are eternal. They never originated from non-entity and they can never be annihilated. Immateriality is but another name for non-entity. Kind of heavy. So in Mormon doctrine, everything that exists is constructed of matter and this matter from God himself to this table, to rocks, to angels, to my boots, uh, cannot be created by God because it's always existed and can never be destroyed either. Okay, got all that? Now, let me lin let you in on a little argument that is kind of interesting about that. This is a little side note, but LDS say anything and everything that can be considered real has to be made of material. So my question to them would be, are my thoughts real? Are my dreams real? Are my memories real? Because none of those are made of matter so far as I know, unless when I walk around, I have those little bubbles popping up with my thoughts in them and, and they're being gathered somewhere in a warehouse that I don't know. But right then and there, if you just step back and consider some of it, they give you this hyperbole, which is nothing exists that is not made of matter. And you just have to say, well, what about my ideas? 
Are those matter? Okay. Anyway, from this philosophical approach on matter, Mormonism then steps forward and says through its teachings, the purpose of all this self-existent matter is to advance. Whether it's a rock or whether it's uh, a human being or whether it's an animal or whether it's a planet or stars or cosmos, all of this matter's purpose is to advance, progress, fulfill its state of glory and measure. That's vital to the existence of matter. Given this, even God, who has always existed materially to Mormons, but not as God, as a man, and probably before that as little particles of matter, he progressed to the point in his material state of becoming God. All right? And you and I, who have always existed as matter somewhere in this cosmos, have progressed to the point where we have been able to take on bodies of other kinds of matter and progress within them. You see, from the LDS perspective, material progression is necessary in a material universe. Matter is not meant to be stagnant. Matter is not meant to digress. Matter is meant to progress and refine and overcome and, and grow and, and become more and more enlightened. So God, always in the form of matter, progressed from being particles to being created in a spirit to, be cre be, to being created as a man, to being cre uh, progressing as a man in his flesh and becoming God. All right. And you and I created in his image have the same opportunity to do the same thing with our life here. And, uh, and if we do it right, the LDS way, we will die and become a God. Now, matter is the first segment that you need to understand in this kind of heavy talk tonight. It's the heaviest we'll probably ever get in the show. The second segment has to do with laws and principles that are eternal. So on the one hand, we have matter here that we know the principles about matter. At the very center of Mormon theology is the belief that there are laws and principles that are like matter. They have never been created by anybody and they have always existed these laws and principles. They're eternal. If you're familiar with Plato, he talked about forms. It's the same concept, that these are laws and principles that have eternally existed, and God himself did not create them. In fact, God himself has to respond to those laws and principles, or else he would cease to be God. So even God himself has to answer to these eternal and immutable, that means they can't change, laws and principles. Mormonism teaches additionally that if there is a law or a principle that is temporary, then that should be considered evil. That a temporary law or a law that will change comes from a changeable source and therefore is an evil thing. Now, most Latter-day Saints, I would say 98% don't understand that this stuff is what the guys in the hierarchy who know the doctrines believe. But this is what makes the machine operate. It's, uh, it's the cogs of the machine that make the whole thing work. Okay. Helping to promote the eternality of these laws and uncreated principles, Joseph Smith said, every principle proceeding from God is eternal and any principle which is not eternal is of the devil. The first step in the salvation of man are the laws of eternal and listen to this word, self-existent 
principles. Self-existent principles are principles that were not created, have no beginning or end, never change. They existed eternally on their own and were not created by any outside source. Bottom line, Latter-day Saints doctrine teaches that eternal laws and principles existed before God, meaning that he is even defined and has to operate according to them. Now, let me tie these two segments together. We have our understand, LDS understanding of matter in our Christian understanding of matter, and we have our LDS understanding of laws and principles and the Christian understanding of laws and principles, which is God is the author of all things, okay? To Mormons, everything real and is made of matter has always existed, never uh, created, and the ultimate purpose of all this matter is to fulfill its potential. Got that with the matter? Now, human beings fulfill their material potential by obeying these eternal laws and principles that have always existed. And when they obey these principles that have always existed, they then are progressing in their material state toward becoming a god. There are blessings that come through obeying this eternal laws and principles, and there are cursings that come when you disobey those eternal laws and principles. And the LDS doctrine, it teaches that. Let me give you two scriptures. Doctrine comes 130, 20 through 21. Listen, there is a law irrevocably decreed in the heaven before the foundation of the world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated, okay? That automatically puts anything good happening in your life in your hands, okay? Not God's hands, in yours. It's because you are obedient to this eternal law and principle that God says, okay, I got to give a blessing here. This is important. God doesn't say, okay, I want to give a blessing here. God says, okay, I have to give a blessing here. I am bound to give a blessing because John over there obeyed this law. I have to reward him. If I don't, I cease to be God. Okay? Doctrine and Covenants 82.10 alludes to the same thing. Listen, I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, it says. But if you do not what I say, you have no promise. Well, the Christian gospel teaches us that God, irrespective of our disobedience, irrespective of our unrighteousness, says, I will bless you because I want to. I am not bound by these things. I can do what I want. I can capriciously save the sinner. He can do this in the Christian world because God is God. The Mormons have made him a man who's progressed and he is under like this great corporate rule. And he has to obey these rules in order to keep his, his corporate presidency. According to basic Mormon doctrine, every uncreated, eternally existing law has a blessing connected to it. If a soul obeys that eternal law, God must respond with a blessing. And if he doesn't, God cannot respond at all. So now, let me tell the LDS story quickly while implementing these beliefs, which are so contrary to biblical Christianity. Anybody who knows biblical Christianity, if they listen to this show and understand theology, will say, I can't believe they say they're Christian. All right? Right now, based off these two factors, material and laws, they're probably just pulling their hair out saying, why did I ever think they were Christian? One of the eternal laws and principles in Mormonism is the eternal law of celestial marriage. 
It has always existed. It was not created by anybody. It is necessary to partake of celestial marriage in order for you as a material being to progress and grow and reach your fullest potential. In early Mormonism, Joseph Smith taught that monogamy was this eternal law and people were to obey it. And he recorded that in the Doctrine and Covenants. But later he recorded that polygamy, plural marriage was necessary. It was a commandment. If these material beings want to progress to become gods, they had to take on more than one wife. The reason being is because more than one wife adds on to the whole concept of more, better, greater, larger, more powerful, more godlike. You know, and if you take a whole bunch of wives with you, when you go to become a god and you populate planets, you have more women to populate them with. This is literally the thinking, my friends. It's literally the thinking. Okay? Now, in order for material human beings to progress toward fulfilling their potential, they have to be sealed for time and all eternity in the Mormon temple to their mate. Before the earth was formed, God, as I said, who was once a material man, he obeyed all those laws and principles. He took on a wife. Actually, it's wives. And this wife and, and he, then they came through their own world. They passed all the tests. They were sealed in a temple. And when they died, they became gods themselves. And they went out and they gathered material of light and they formed it into spirit children through these mothers somehow. And these mothers bore spirit children. And the heavens were filled with God, Heavenly Father, and his wife or wives, depending on what you read. And these wives have pumped out trillions of spirit children. And we are those spirit children. Now, we were all gathered in a preexistent state. This is not science fiction. Well, it is science fiction, but this is not. This is their doctrine. And of all those spirit children created, God the Father and his wife created Jesus, who was the brightest of all those intelligent lights that they gathered, that material. Satan, also, who was known then as Lucifer, uh, son of the morning, he was created. And Abraham and all the great ones, Joseph Smith included himself in those great ones. And we have all those great ones. And then we have us and we have all kinds of people. And God says, uh, listen, you are now spirit children. And we looked at Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother and they had bodies because they had progressed. And we said, we want one of those too. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you an earth. You go, you go on down to that earth. You'll get a body. You go through all the tests. You get sealed for time and all eternity. You obey the eternal principles, which will include polygamy. And you can return and you can become a God like me. And you can have worlds like this and create spirit children too. Well, Satan, Lucifer said, no way. I don't like this plan because you're going to lose some of us when we go down to that earth. So I'll go down and make everybody obey you. And then I'll bring everybody back up to you and yay, it's a big party. And God said, no, I don't like that because freedom of choice is necessary for them to prove themselves. And so Satan got mad and he took a third of those spirit babies and there was a war in heaven. And God cast out those spirit babies. And Jesus said before that war, listen, I'll step up and I'll go down. And if my brothers and sisters sin, I will die for them and they will have the opportunity to repent eternal laws and principles and come back and do the right thing and by their righteousness and by repenting and then my shed blood, they believe in the shed blood, they can too repent and become a God. So that's where we leave off with 
where we are and how the pre-existence and how it all starts to build into uh, what, uh, why Mormonism believes in polygamy. Now we're gonna tap back into that as we go on and explain what the whole meaning is. But before we go to the phones, David and Orm, first time caller, let me say this. The Bible is clear. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. There are no other gods before him. He is not a man, the Bible is clear to state. He has, that has not any of the attributes that man has in his fallen nature. He might have characteristics because we were made in his image, but nothing to do with being uh, anthropomorphic. He is not a human being. The Bible is clear that there was one person, one human being on earth who had a pre-mortal existence. His name was Jesus. Jesus was the only human being that lived in a pre-mortal state. The rest of us were created by God here, just like lions and tigers and bears were created here. Human beings were creations here, yes, in God's image, but we were from here, not there. Jesus said, I am from above. You are from beneath. I am not of this world. You are from this world. You get it? Big delineation there between him and the rest of us. Joseph made all of us brothers and sisters to Jesus, all right? Where Joseph replaced the word with myth, he made angels pre-incarnate men and post-incarnate men. There was no heavenly creation of angels as the Bible teaches. Christians know that God has a, a community, a society of angels that roam the heavens in an invisible sphere and do the work of God in that realm. No different than a hippopotamus does the realm of the river in the jungle and the birds have the realm of the air. The angels have the celestial heavenly realms. Man has the earthly terrestrial realms. These are all realms. Joseph said, no, there's no angels with wings. It's men before they are brought to this earth and men after they leave this earth. Another thing the Bible disagrees with. The LDS claim to be children of heavenly father. Ask a Latter-day Saint. They'll say, when you are born in this, you're automatically heavenly father's child. Not so. The Bible is clear that you are not his child because you are sin. You only become his child through your faith in his son. Then you become his child. And when you do, that is like no other father, no other son relationship, daughter relationship. You are his child then. They, these differences all culminate into this practice that help them justify taking on wives, never paying attention to them, letting them live in squalor, pumping out kids like crazy to build their material kingdom, which they knew they were going to die and carry with them up into the celestial realms. We're going to continue talking about that. Let's go to the phones. We're going to David and Oram, first time caller. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? Doing well. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. First time caller, second time watching your show, and uh, I just uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy the insight that you have. Uh, it's um, I, I had a question for you. Maybe you could expound on a little bit. Yeah. You could probably even perhaps tell me whether I'm a, a true believer or not. Okay. Uh, I did. I served a mission for the LDS Church, but I noticed in your uh, in your words tonight that uh, you had mentioned that things that are not eternal, things that are temporal, uh, are not good, or something along those lines, that only things that are, are uh, I can't remember how you said it, Yeah. but I, I, I tend to uh, think of the Law of Moses and obviously the Law of the Atonement when you said that, 
uh-huh. and how the law of Moses was a preparatory law to uh-huh. the to the law of the atonement, the law of the Savior. Uh-huh. And uh, how can that be bad if it's a pre-runner or a temporary thing? Uh, how can it how can it not be a good thing if it's a growing process? Well, I don't know. Uh, I know what you're saying. I, I actually agree with you. I would say the LDS response would be that the law of Moses is still in place and that it was never temporary. It was, I mean, the law is good. They would use it as a schoolmaster, that the dispensation of grace might kind of preempt it or go hand in hand with it. But I think the LDS would say it's not done away with. The law of Moses, the law was never temporary. It is God's way. In my thinking, I would agree with you, though, uh, David, that the law of Moses uh, was for a time, and it was to convict us of our sin and show us, you couldn't obey this, let me bring in Jesus to save you from it. But uh, So that's the best I can do in answering for the LDS of how they would rationalize the law of Moses changing and then uh, the dispensation of grace. Well, now, are they still practicing animal sacrifice? Is, is that what you mean by still practicing the law of Moses? I'm a little confused. Well, if I would believe, David, that if the Jews were truly practicing the law of Moses, then animal sacrifice should be uh, performed. I know that, that uh, the, um, oh, who are those people that were, the Samaritans still practice animal sacrifice on their uh, temple mount, in uh, the Middle East, but Israel has abandoned that practice. But I would think if they're obeying the law of Moses, you can't exclude Leviticus and its requirements for sacrifice. So are you a proponent of that then, of the law of Moses and animal sacrifice? Would you say, I'm I'm just trying to I would think for a Jew, yes, I would be a proponent of that. I would see nothing wrong with them performing those things because that's part of their belief system. To them, the Messiah has not come. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I understand then. Okay. So it's a tough. It's a tough one. This is a, some heavy stuff, but good call, David. Hey, thank you so much, Sean. Enjoy your show. I'll keep watching. Thanks. Bye bye. Uh huh. Bye bye. Hey, listen. I made a mistake. Uh, West High School is not in Salt Lake City. It's in North Salt Lake City. Uh, it's in Salt Lake City. It's not in North Salt Lake City. What the heck? All right, we're going to Debbie in, in Salt Lake City on line three. Debbie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Debbie. How you doing? I want to know where you get the facts about the Mormon church at. Whoo! Well, uh, I read books. I don't use the Internet to get the facts typically. I'm a book reader, and I go through and I scour. So I look for documented references on the, 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 what I'm saying. Um, every now and then when I get stuck and I'm not sure of something, I go to the best resource online, I believe, and that's Sandra Tanner. That's at utlm.org. And when I want to know something quickly, I can go to that and rely on them always. I a- approve of that completely. My problem is, is I need to assimilate the whole picture the best I can because my mind's a little slow and I got to take it all in. But I go to the books, the actual historically written, observed books written by any author as long as they have documented references. Where do you get the books at? Bookstores. Bookstores. Libraries. What do I look for? Online. Mormonism, for friends. Uh, Mormonism, you could look under that topic. Mormonism? Just, yeah, yeah, try that. I would suggest uh, you might just go to utlm.org and start there. They recommend a lot of books. They have books for sale there, but you can get a lot of information. What is that again? 
U-T-L-M dot org. U-T-L-M? Yep, dot org. Huh. All right? Because I enjoy your show. I just wondering where you got the facts in, because yeah, I've got... been interested in finding the facts about the Mormon Church. Yeah, if you have the internet, do that, uh, Debbie. It's, it's a long search, but the stuff is there. You take care. God bless you. Yeah, you too, and I'm enjoying your show. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We're going to Paul in Salt Lake City. Uh, First-time caller who's LDS. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Um, you got to speak up, Paul. Okay. I'm reading your book. Uh, I got a question about uh, do you have to absolutely have to take the revolutionary, be a revolutionary person to solve the uncertainty that I have in my faith and to, uh, as you put it, uh, uh, do what you have to do to change whether it hurts your family or not. No, Paul, you don't have to be a revolutionary person. Uh, you, you, I believe that it's important that you see yourself as a humble sinner before your maker and uh, and that you let him guide your decisions on how you work it through with your family. Uh, we had one guy who came to know the Lord and he told us he was going to go get in church and stand up and tell everybody and, and his wife convinced him otherwise and there's wisdom that you use. Uh, the Lord will lead you what you're supposed to do. And uh, you, But the important thing, Paul, is get on your knees Ask your maker to show you the truth, to open your eyes, your ears, your heart, and to just show you and be willing to do whatever he wants you to do and don't fear. I think that's the most important thing that I could share with you. Thank you, Sean. That helps. Bye. Bye-bye, Paul. Thank you. Hey, we're going to some emails while operators clear the lines. 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. The first one is, how about a quote? This is, this is a great one. From uh, April 7th, 1895, LDS Church Conference from President Wilford Woodruff stood up and said, quote, Cease troubling yourselves about who God is, who Adam is, who Christ is, who Jehovah is, for heaven's sake. Let these things alone. It's just like, just don't think, please. Don't, don't try to examine God. Let these things alone. Oh, my goodness, this stuff kills me. You can't make it up. All right, an email from Bruce. It says, what about Christianity's crazy stuff? I would like help on understanding the Trinity better. All right, you want understanding God, his essence, and you want me to explain it. Um, what does the Bible tell us, Bruce? How much does God tell us about the nature of his oneness in three parts? He does not, I mean, he could tell us, he could give us a book this thick to explain the metaphysical construct of his ontology. He does not do that for a reason. Our brains are not going to grasp an eternal, magnificent, worshipful being as God. What does he tell us? I can explain. He says, there is one God. He tells us that. Deuteronomy 5, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
There is one God. There is not two, three, four. There is one. All right. The other thing the Bible tells us is that the father is called God and given godly attributes. The son is called God and given godly attributes. And the Holy Spirit is called God and given godly attributes. All three, Jesus, it says, had the fullness of God dwelling in him bodily. We don't understand it. Don't try to understand it. Just give yourself to it and let him reveal who he is to you. All right? I cannot ex explain the Trinity. The LDS say, ha ha, we can explain God. And then they come up with the thing I was just explaining earlier. Material and, oh, yeah. All right. The next one is, uh, let's see. Oh, uh, this says, why do you advise taking your name off the records completely? This is from uh, Dan. Uh, instead of just leaving and going to another church. Well, one, first and foremost, Dan, it's a personal choice. You, uh, I don't, uh, this bothers, but I don't care what you do in terms of if you take it off or if you leave or if you stay for a while. Uh, I only care that you understand who Jesus is through rebirth. And you can say, I know him. I'm changed. I'm born again. He is my Lord and Savior. What you do after that, God is in charge of your life. Now, we tell people who are inclined to abandon ship to do it because of several things. One, it sends a message loud and clear to the guys in the suits up on North Temple that something's going on here. You know, people are starting to walk away in droves. There's an article in the Salt Lake City uh, Tribune on the 20th. Mormons, stay in, Mormons in crisis of faith use stayLDS.com. Why do they do that? Because the Mormons are starting to say, this stuff is nuts. It's on the internet. We're reading it now. No more. And they're starting to leave. Well, stayLDS.com is saying, don't do that. Stay. It's, it, this thing goes on to say, even if you don't believe in our doctrine, even if you don't believe in this, stay. Okay? Well, they're doing it for the wrong reason, staying. If you, if Lord is leading you to stay, that's one thing. But if you're staying because it's culturally comfortable and it's a good church that supplies all your social needs, there's a problem with that. God, I think we'll have a problem with that. All right? So the eldest church is having some hemorrhaging and it comes... It sends something to those guys in the suits who really want to keep the churches and money coming in and the power and everything. They got Romney, who's really running at the top now. Looks like 2012, Mormon president, possible. So we got that going on, and they want to keep it. Then it also makes a difference in the lives of the person involved. We get a lot of uh, letters from people who say, I finally sent it in, and when I got that letter back that said I'm out, a weight was lifted off my back that I didn't even think was there. So there could be something spiritual to doing it. Finally, it leaves those who are still in to wonder. Why did you do that? What's that about? And it kind of sort of, hate to use the phrase, sets an example for the other people in there to kind of see what it's, what's going on. All right, let's go to Carmen in Germany. First time caller. Uh, Carmen in Germany. Carmen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Well, hello. How are you? I'm great. Wow, what an honor. This is our first international call. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. So you watch the show through streaming? Yes. How long have yes, you been I... watching? Pardon me? How long have you been watching? Um, I first started to look in the archives for the videos, and now um, since two weeks it works. Wow. Praise God. So uh, you have a question, and is Mormonism strong in Germany, in the, in the motherland? 
Okay, I have a question. Why do Mormons not pray to Jesus when Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament and even Alma pray to Jesus and cry to him for forgiveness? Great question. Carmen, in the Book of Mormon, Joseph was pretty much teaching a uh, traditional Protestant faith through the Book of Mormon's setup. So for them to pray to Jesus, it was normative. He hadn't let his mind go and embrace all this other crazy stuff as he did later. So the Book of Mormon represents pretty much biblical Christianity, pretty much. Now, they don't pray to Jesus because Jesus is a created being just like you and I. They, pre they only pray to the Father also because Jesus only prayed to the Father when he was on earth. And so they believe that's the order. We don't pray to Jesus. We pray to the Father. Jesus set the example how to do it. And I don't really have exception with that. I will uh, pray to Jesus because I know that he's God. But I don't have exception to people addressing all their prayers in the name of the uh, Father. Okay. Does that help? Yeah. I was just meeting with the Mormon missionaries. And we talked a lot about it because they asked me to pray and ask if the Book of Mormon is true. Mm. And they asked me not to pray to Jesus. And I didn't understand where when he is, even when he is just a part of the Godhood, um, I could ask him because he can deliver me the truth too. You can, so, ask, you can ask Jesus, yes, Carmen, and uh, be very careful with what those guys are uh, telling you to do. I know that you can pray about the Book of Mormon and you could have some kind of experience. But I, I would never ever claim that experience came from God. Uh, yeah. And Carmen, you may know as well as I do that nowhere does the Bible say, hey, take this book and pray to see if it's true. I mean, only the Book of Mormon lays that thing out. And you may have something in your life where you're seeking for something to be true, where you're looking for something to stand on, and you pray at that time and you might get a feeling and you might just believe that feeling. That's not how God operates. That's a carnival trick that Joseph introduced. Okay. You take Thank care. You. Hey, do you have our book? Pardon me? Do you have our book? No. You can go online and you can download it for free, Carmen. Please do it. Okay. Okay. I will. God bless you, and thanks. Tell all your friends about the show. Okay, I will. All right, Carmen. Bye. God bless. Bye-bye. Awesome. Awesome. Germany. That's the first time. All right, let's go to Rebecca in Clinton. Rebecca, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. My name's Rebecca. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. My question for you is, I was born Mormon and taught that I was to marry in the temple, yeah, um, which I did, and since then have been divorced and asked to have my name removed from the LDS records, wrote a letter to the Salt Lake offices, which I in turn got a letter saying that there were some different steps that I had to take before I was able to have my name removed. Yeah. And since then, he has been remarried and married in the temple. Oh! So tonight, you have been talking about polygamy. I wonder, am I, in a sense, in a little bit of polygamy here? You are exactly living been... polygamy spiritually right now, yes. Okay. You are My married to him is... in the temple. 
He's married to another woman in the temple. That's your sister wife, honey. Okay. And that's not going to fly. <laughs> Good so for you. How, how do I go about getting a temple divorce? Uh, I would lay out what you're saying to me now in a letter. Say, I do not want to be part of this. And say, I'm going to go to the newspapers and talk about this thing that you've put me in spiritually. And I think they'll, they will uh, move quickly to give you that temple divorce. Okay. And in turn, am I going to be removed from the church records as well? Y yes. You're going to okay. need to. It depends on your local leadership. Some of those guys drag their feet. And in doing that for you, some of them will quickly expedite it for you, your request to be removed. Some of them are sitting there thinking, well, maybe I can convince you to come back because maybe you'll be one of my brides later on. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> follow okay, it. Okay, no, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm happily married, and I am perfect with one man, and it is <laughs> not in the temple. Good for you. Keep going, Rebecca. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. God bless. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Nicole in West Jordan. Nicole, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi. Um, okay. Earlier you were talking about, um, like, children of God. Um, I got kind of confused on how something you said about how we're not children of God unless we believe in a son. Yes. What did you, how, what did you mean by that, or oh, can you clarify that? Great question, Nicole. Listen, I'm going to read a scripture to you, Okay. Okay. All right. In John chapter 1, it's talking about Jesus. And then it says in verse 12, uh, verse 11, it says, Jesus came to his own people and they did not receive him. Then verse 12 says, but, and it says, as many as receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons and daughters of God, even to them that believe on his name. So if you become a son or a daughter of God through adoption by faith, it is not an automatic uh, uh, connection. Yes, he is our creator. And yes, we call him father in heaven. Uh -huh. But you are not adopted as his child, truly his child, until you have been cleansed through the blood of his only begotten son. And, and John chapter 1, verse 11, 12, and 13 will explain that to you well, as well as a number of other uh, things on spiritual adoption. Go to Romans 8, 15. That will do the same thing. And as you go through Scripture, you'll see that you need to be adopted by the Father, and that happens when you're cleansed by His Son's blood. That's the only way. Okay, that makes sense. Does that help you? That does a lot, yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's, it's a little bit tough for some because... You think, well, you know, he's, he created me. I'm created in his image. He's my father. He loves me. Yes, right. he loves you. Absolutely loves you. That's why he sent his son to get rid of the sin that we commit so that we can live with him in that place where holiness dwells. I see. Yeah. Does that help? Uh, it does. That does help. All right, my sister. God bless you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. You're great. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> We're going to Rose in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Rose, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hi. I just wanted to give you some scriptures for the Trinity, since there are so many people that don't believe in it. Okay. Uh, in Genesis 1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. 
so there's your spirit. Then in Proverbs 30, I forget the verse, but it talks about the Son. Who is the Son? Do you know him? So that's Jesus. Then in, uh, in 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus, and these three are one. That's beautiful. So I hope this clears it up in some of their minds, and if they read the scripture, they'll find out. Oh, I pray, I pray they do, Rose. Thank you so much for taking the time setting that up for us. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to John in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. John? Hello, Sean? Hi. Um, this is, or, um, I was just wondering, because, um, well, none of my, a bunch of my friends are Mormon, and none of them, like, throughout my whole childhood, couldn't have sleepovers with me. Oh, wow. And, uh, and why do you think that is, John? I'm really not sure. Yeah. And are your, tell me about your uh, mom and dad. Are you got, you guys go to a different church? Yeah, we go to a Lutheran church. Oh, no. <laughs> Danger. <laughs> uh, you know what? How old are you? I am 11. Sounds like you made that up. <laughs> Listen, John, uh, my heart goes out to you, my friend, because, um, it's known that they are very elitist because they're afraid that their children will be influenced by other people, and so they stay together in their own group. Uh, it's, like, it's like two football teams, John. You have the black team and you have the white team, and the black team only spends time with the black team because they don't want to be friends with the white. They think the white are bad, and you're experiencing that in your life. But I want to tell you something. You have a friend in the Lord, and you keep going to him, and you ask him, John, I do this every day. Every single day I go to the Lord, and I ask him to help me and strengthen me and be my friend and be my king and my guide. And he is my God. And if he's my God, he certainly would be yours. And so you turn to him, and you keep going, and believe me, this time will pass, and you're going to be better for it, all right? Okay. All right, you take care, my friend. Thank you. All right, God bless you. Bye-bye. Jack and Murray, I'm sorry. We've only got 30 seconds left. I want you to know it's there for the taking. God is constantly calling, wooing everybody to come to him. He's asking you, and you know, as he says in Acts, some people just, they just turn from that. They reject this constantly. Don't reject it. Open yourself up to it. If you're LDS, if you're Catholic, if you're Baptist, if you're Pentecostal, if you're an atheist, go get on your knees, ask God to give you his spirit, and he will. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty